Yo, it's Extra Crispy. I know I probably sound a little weird. I was forced to use my uh, microphone on my laptop because I was having some issues on this first part after I recorded everything else, so I think everything else is going to sound alright, but today on the podcast, I'm going to be talking about hope. You know, we live in a world that is this is crazy out there. It's kind of crazy in here, too. <laughs> It's not just crazy out there. Sometimes we got some craziness going on on the inside. And yet, I think there remains a way that in spite of all the craziness in the world, outside and, and maybe even within us, there is a way to, to find true hope. And so in this episode today, to, to kind of explore this, I put together something a little bit different than normal for the Extra Crispy podcast Uh, In this episode, I will start off with a poem that was released about 56 years ago, read by Bob Dylan, Last Thoughts on Woody Guthrie, followed by a portion of a talk that I gave at North Shore Vineyard Church, where I pastored yesterday. It's just a little segment out of that. Followed by Carl Sagan's Hell Blue Dot. Uh, This is a video you can find on YouTube. Also, there's some original music, uh, a song that I wrote, as well as some some music from a band I used to be in called Mary's Dance. So there's a lot of uh, different ways that I'm exploring not just hope and truth, but really this is, I'm titling this episode Wonderlust because where I'm going with all this is, is, is how much wonder and awe, making space in our life for wonder and awe, how that really connects us with hope and truth. So I just want to thank all of you who are new listeners who've been listening to this podcast, and especially for those of you who have uh, gone to iTunes and given Extra Crispy a good review and shared it with your friends. This takes a lot of work to do this. I love doing it, but it's it's awesome knowing when this stuff that I'm talking about on here actually resonates and helps you. So let's listen to some Bob Dylan. Last thoughts on Woody Guthrie. There's this book coming out, and they asked me to write uh, something about Woody. Uh, sort of like, what does Woody Guthrie mean to you in 25 words? And, uh, and I couldn't do it. I wrote out five pages, and uh, I have it here. It's a, I have it here by accident, actually. <laughs> but but I, I'd, I'd like to say this out loud. So... Uh, if you can sort of roll along with this thing here. This is called Last Thoughts on Woody Guthrie. Um, when your head gets twisted and your mind grows numb, when you think you're too old, too young, too smart, or too dumb, when you're lagging behind and losing your pace in a slow-motion crawl or life's busy race, no matter what you're doing, if you start giving up, if the wine don't come to the top of your cup, if the wind got you sideways with one hand holding on and the other starts slipping and the feeling is gone, and your train engine fire needs a new spark to catch it, and the wood's easy finding, but you're lazy to fetch it. And your sidewalk starts curling, and the street gets too long, and you start walking backwards so you know that it's wrong, and lonesome comes up as down goes the day, and tomorrow's morning seems so far away, and you feel the reins from your pony are slipping. 
And your rope was a sliding because your hands are dripping. And your sun-desert and evergreen valleys turned to broken-down slums and trash can alleys. And your sky cries water and your drain pipes are pouring. And the lightnings are flashing and the thunders are crashing. And the windows are rattling and breaking and the rooftops are shaking. And your whole world is slamming and banging. And your minutes of sun turn to hours of storm. And to yourself you sometimes say, I never knew it was going to be this way. Why didn't they tell me the day I was born? And you start getting chills and you're jumping from sweat. And you're looking for something you ain't quite found yet. And you're knee-deep in dark water with your hands in the air And the whole world's watching with the window peaks staring And your good gal leaves and she's long gone a-flying And your heart feels sick like fish when they're frying And your jackhammer falls from your hands to your feet But you need it badly and it lays on the street And your bell's banging loudly but you can't hear its beat And you think your ears might have been hurt Or your eyes have turned filthy from the sight-binding dirt And you figured you failed in yesterday's rush And you were faked out and fooled while facing the four-flush And all the time you're holding three queens It's making you mad, it's making you mean Like in the middle of Life magazine Bouncing around a pinball machine And there's something on your mind that you want to be saying That somebody someplace ought to be hearing But it's trapped on your tongue, sealed in your head And it bothers you badly when you're laying in bed And no matter how you try, you just can't say it And you're scared to your soul, you just might forget it And your eyes get sony from the tears in your head And your pillows of feathers turn to blankets of lead And the lion's mouth opens and you're staring at his teeth And his jaws start closing with you underneath And you're flat on your belly with your hands tied behind And you wish you'd never taken that last detour sign You say to yourself, just what am I doing? On this road I'm walking, on this trail I'm turning on this curve I'm hanging, on this pathway I'm strolling, in the space I'm taking, in this air I'm inhaling. Am I mixed up too much or mixed up too hard? Why am I walking? Where am I running? What am I saying? What am I knowing on this guitar I'm playing? On this banjo I'm freeling, on this mandolin I'm strumming, in a song I'm singing, in a tune I'm humming, in the words that I'm thinking, in the words I'm writing. In this ocean of hours I'm all the time drinking. Who am I helping? What am I breaking? What am I giving? What am I taking? But you try with your whole soul best never to think these thoughts and never to let them kind of thoughts gain ground or make your heart pound. But then again, you know when they're around, just waiting for a chance to slip and drop down. Because sometimes you hear them in the nighttime come creeping and you fear they might catch you sleeping. And you jump from your bed from the last chapter of dreaming and you can't remember for the best you're thinking if that was you in a dream that was screaming. And you know that's something special you're needing. You know there's no drug that'll do for the healing and no liquor in the land to stop your brain from bleeding. You need something special. You need something special, all right. You need a fast-flying train on a tornado track to shoot you someplace and shoot you back. You need a cyclone wind on a steam engine howler that's been banging and booming and blowing forever that knows your troubles a hundred times over. You need a greyhound bus that don't bar no race and won't laugh at your looks, your voice, or your face and buying a number of bets in the book will be rolling long after the bubblegum craze. You need something to open up a new door to show you something you've seen before but overlooked a hundred times or more. You need something to open your eyes. You need something to make it known that it's you and no one else that owns that spot that you're standing, that space that you're sitting, that the world ain't got you beat. It ain't got you licked. It can't get you crazy no matter how many times you might get kicked. You need something special, all right. You need something special to give you hope. But hope's just a word that maybe you said, maybe you heard on some windy corner around a wide-angled curve. But that's what you need, man, and you need it bad. And your trouble is you know it too good, because you look and you start getting the chills, because you can't find it on a dollar bill, and it ain't on Macy's windowsill. And ain't on a real rich kid's road map, and ain't made in no fat kid's fraternity house, and ain't made in no Hollywood wheat germ, and ain't on that dim-lit stage with that half-wit comedian on it, ranting and raving and taking your money, and you think it's funny. Now you can't find it neither in no nightclub, no yacht club, and it ain't in the seats of a supper club, and sure as hell you're bound to tell, no matter how hard you rub, you just ain't gonna find it on your ticket stub. No, it ain't in the rumors people are telling you, and it ain't in the pimple lotion people are selling you, and it ain't in the cardboard box house or down in any movie star's blouse, and you can't find it on the golf course. And Uncle Remus can't tell you, and neither can Santa Claus. 
And ain't the cream puff hairdo or cotton candy clothes. It ain't the dime store dummies and bubblegum goons. And ain't the marshmallow noises of the chocolate cake voices that come knocking and tapping in Christmas wrapping. Saying, ain't I pretty? Ain't I cute? Look at my skin. Look at my skin shine. Look at my skin glow. Look at my skin laugh. Look at my skin cry. When you can't even sense it, they got any insides. These people so pretty in their ribbons and bows. Now you'll not now, no other day, find it on the doorsteps made of paper mache, and inside with the people made of molasses that every other day buy a new pair of sunglasses, and they in the fifty-star generals and flipped-out phonies who turn you in for a tenth of a penny, who breathe and burp and bend and crack, and before you can count from one to ten, do it all over again, but this time behind your back, my friend. The ones that wheel and deal and whirl and twirl and play games with each other in the sandbox world. You can't find it either in the no-talent fools that run around gallant and make all the rules for the ones that got talent. And ain't the ones that ain't got any talent but think they do and think they're fooling you. The ones that jump on the wagon just for a while because they know it's in style. To get the kicks, get out of it quick and make all kinds of money and chicks. And you yell to yourself and you throw down your hat saying, Christ, do I got to be like that? Ain't there no one here that knows where I'm at? Ain't there no one here that knows how I feel? Good God Almighty, that stuff ain't real. No, but that ain't your game. It ain't your race. You can't hear your name. You can't see your face. You got to look some other place. And where do you look for this hope that you're seeking? Where do you look for this lamp that's burning? Where do you look for this oil well gushing? Where do you look for this candle that's glowing? Where do you look for this hope that you know is there and out there somewhere? And your feet can only walk down two kinds of roads. Your eyes can only look through two kinds of windows. Your nose can only smell two kinds of hallways. You can touch and twist and turn two kinds of doorknobs. You can either go to the church of your choice or you go to Brooklyn State Hospital. You find God in the church of your choice. You find Woody Guthrie in Brooklyn State Hospital. And though it's only my opinion, I may be right or wrong, you find them both in Grand Canyon, sundown. Today, I, I want to talk about hope. And as I was preparing for my message, I was reminded about that poem. I heard it the first time when I was about 18 years old, and I thought, huh, this is, this is good. 28 years later, I think I understand it a little, though. <laughs> I understand it. You know, Bob Dylan was sharing thoughts about Woody Guthrie, but he's really not just sharing thoughts about Woody Guthrie. He's sharing thoughts about hope and misplaced hope. You know, we, we are offered stuff by marketers and advertisers. You know, the, the pimple lotion people are selling you. <laughs> uh, we are constantly drawn back and forth thinking that if we just find the right person, if we just find the right job, if we just accumulate the right kinds of possessions, if we just get to the right place in the social hierarchy, then it will answer the thing on the inside of us. But you've probably had the experience before where you finally got the thing that you wanted and you realized, well, what was it the Beatles said? You know, we went to the top of the mountain, there ain't nothing there. You know, you, you, you spend your life hoping and chasing after something but you make the mistake of thinking that that thing, whatever it is, can answer the longing in your soul. Bob Dylan says, hope is what you need. You need something to give you hope. You need it, and you need it bad. Where do you get this hope? You know, last weekend in my Easter message, I, I mentioned how when you encounter truth, it's something of resonance on the inside. It's like the disciples on the road to Emmaus where you feel your heart burning within you. 
We've all had that experience sometimes, haven't you? You may have had it this morning in worship. It sounded like somebody reading uh, a particular scripture was having an encounter with hope and truth. We have these encounters. Sometimes we have them in church. Taking communion, singing worship songs, reading the scriptures together. You have moments where your heart is stirred and it's not mere inspiration. It's something much deeper. But, you know, here's the thing. It's not confined to church. I love the way Bob Dylan ends this poem. He says, where are you going to find this hope? Well, you can find it in the church of your choice. That's true. But oftentimes we encounter truth and transcendent experiences outside of the walls of religion. You know, I, I got to, I consider Jazz Fest, it's a, it's a bit of a spiritual experience for me. And I, I, would, I took my son Ezra to Jazz Fest on Friday because he plays tuba and he plays the electric guitar. And there was lots of brass bands and lots of good guitar players. But I was a little disappointed most of the day. It was hot. There's a whole lot of people. took a long time to get in there. Tickets are a lot more expensive than they were a few years ago. But then Santana came on stage. And there was one moment where it was just so beautiful. You could tell the guys up there on stage, they're not just all about their egos. You could tell they love one another. You could tell that they were there to help people have an experience that would alleviate their fears and their anxieties, that they would experience something that connects us all together. And there was one moment where I don't even remember what they were playing, but I just found myself in tears just by the beauty of it, by the connection with everybody out there, by the music being served up. And it was like the, the, the barriers were down. You get those moments, you realize you can be a little hopeful. For all the junk in this world, you can be a little hopeful. I looked over at Ezra. I said, you notice, I want you to pay attention to what's going on here, son. What you're experiencing is something spiritual. It's bigger than just music. And these guys get it. A lot of the bands we heard today don't get that. They just te- treat music as a commodity. You can find God in the church of your choice. You can experience God in a song, in a conversation, in a relationship. But I love where he goes at the end of this poem. He says, it's only my opinion. I may be right or wrong, but you find them both at the Grand Canyon at sundown. Any of y'all been to the Grand Canyon before? Yeah, we got to go to the Grand Canyon a couple of years ago. And going to the Grand Canyon is a very different experience than going to some of the other national parks that you see. I love going to national parks, but Grand Canyon is kind of like a pilgrimage. It's kind of a spiritual thing. And here's what happens when you get to the Grand Canyon. I, I didn't notice any signs that said no talking and, you know, low, loud music. You don't need those signs because what do people do? They come up to the edge of the canyon and they just get quiet. And they start talking in hushed tones. Like, look at that, babe. It's so beautiful. Nobody's telling you, shut up. It's, you don't have to. It's a big hole in the ground. And yet, standing there, you experience awe and wonder. 
probably the most powerful emotion you can experience next to love itself is awe and wonder. And we've about squeezed awe and wonder out of our world through technology and science, and we got everything figured out. We got no time for awe and wonder. But the the thing that, and I think the reason why people come to a place like the Grand Canyon and why it's, it's almost like a sacred place to people without any mention of being sacred, it's... Everybody just kind of knows it. Looking down at this big hole, (laughs) you feel small. The good kind of small. You know, you may have people in your life that make you feel small in a bad way. You don't matter. You're insignificant. You got nothing to offer. Or, Or who only value you for what you bring to the table. You are a means to their end. They objectify you. That's a bad small. Kind of small you feel at the Grand Canyon is like, wow, there's a much bigger world, a much bigger reality that I'm in. You know, you can read about something that, that this phenomenon that the that they noticed with astronauts back in the sixties, the first ones who went into space and got to see Earth from out there. How cool would that be? I mean, we can watch, we can see pictures of it now, but imagine like being the people who got up there before there was any pictures. Imagine being the guy that got to take the picture out the window. And they noticed this phenomenon from astronauts that went out into space and saw the Earth. They call it the overview effect. You can look this up. And it's just, it was life changing. Just seeing Earth from outside the Earth is like, wow, pretty amazing. Everyone you know, everyone you ever heard of, every human being who ever was, lived out their lives. The aggregate of our joy and suffering. Thousands of confident religions, ideologies, and economic doctrines. Every hunter and forager, every hero and coward, every creator and destroyer of civilization. Every king and peasant, every young couple in love, Every mother and father, hopeful child, inventor and explorer, every teacher of morals, every corrupt politician, every superstar, every supreme leader, every saint and sinner in the history of our species lived there on a mote of dust suspended in a sunbeam. The earth is a very small stage in a vast cosmic arena. Think of the rivers of blood spilled by all those generals and emperors so that in glory and triumph they could become the momentary masters of a fraction of a dot. Think of the endless cruelties visited 
by the inhabitants of one corner of this pixel on the scarcely distinguishable inhabitants of some other corner. How frequent their misunderstandings. How eager they are to kill one another. How fervent their hatreds. Our posturings, our imagined self-importance, the delusion that we have some privileged position in the universe are challenged by this point of pale light. Our planet is a lonely speck in the great enveloping cosmic dark. In our obscurity, in all this vastness, there is no hint that help will come from elsewhere to save us from ourselves. The Earth is the only world known so far to harbor life. There is nowhere else, at least in the near future, to which our species could migrate. Visit? Yes. Settle? Not yet. Like it or not, for the moment, the Earth is where we make our stand. It has been said that astronomy is a humbling and character-building experience. There is perhaps no better demonstration of the folly of human conceits than this distant image. To me, it underscores our responsibility to deal more kindly with one another and to preserve and cherish the pale blue dot, the only home we've ever known. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go meet with God? My tears have been my food, day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. I'm depressed, so I remember God. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you. From the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar, deep calls to deep and the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day the Lord directs his love. At night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go on mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, Where is your God? Why my soul is just so downcast? Why disturbed within me? But your hope in God. 
for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Psalm 42, which I just read a few moments ago, is one of my all-time favorite psalms. There is such honesty within it. It is a psalm that is fraught with tension. (laughs) 
the the songwriter is obviously in a difficult place. He's experiencing pain and disappointment. And I know there are plenty of theologians and Bible scholars who have looked into, you know, the ancient Hebrew and stuff. But I really feel like as a songwriter, I understand something about how this song was written and perhaps why I resonate with it so much in my own journey. This is not a psalm of David. This is a psalm attributed to the sons of Korah. I don't know much about the sons of Korah. I don't know if anybody does. But I can tell you how I suspect this psalm was written. It starts with this guy going outside. Maybe he's outside because that's his profession. Maybe he's a shepherd like David. Maybe he's got a lot of time outdoors. Maybe he's on the run. We see this happening oftentimes in the Psalms that some of the most engaging Psalms were written by people who were on the run for their life. Or perhaps this is a person who's just going through so much, he's got to get out. He's got to get out into the wilderness. It's an interesting thing through the Old Testament and even up through the New Testament that the prophets often went out into the wilderness. John the Baptist, when he goes to start his ministry, he doesn't start it in Jerusalem, the the hub of religion. He goes out into the wilderness and baptizes people by the Jordan. And even Jesus, before he launches into his public ministry, he goes out into the wilderness. This guy is writing this song. One day he goes out into the wilderness. He doesn't just simply go out into the wilderness, he pays attention. I'm convinced that most of the spiritual journey is really learning how to pay attention. You know, that's what contemplation and reflection are. It's paying attention to the world around you, paying attention to what's going on inside of you, noticing those things. It's amazing how much, if we can practice that, we will encounter truth. This guy sits down, and he starts to pay attention. And he notices a deer walking down to a stream. This is desert wilderness, not that unlike uh, the part of the country I grew up in, in West Texas. I've been out to the Holy Land, and it's, it's very similar This deer goes down to the water and it begins to drink and drink and drink. And as this guy who is in obvious turmoil, fighting anxiety and depression, as he begins to pay attention, he goes, that's it. That's it. That's me. I'm that deer, God. I'm thirsty. But I'm not just thirsty for water. I'm thirsty for God. I'm thirsty for the living God. See, this this whole psalm, I believe, starts in a place of wonder. It starts in a place of encountering God in creation. It starts out of a place of simply letting go and paying attention to what's going on outside 
and insight. And we see that develop throughout this psalm. It's this back and forth. I remember when things were going well, where I used to go with the festive throng to the house of God and worship. I remember those meaningful times. And then he goes on to to talk about specific times that we don't know what he's talking about, but the land of the Jordan, Mount Mizar, places where he encountered God, where God came through, where God revealed God's self to this person. He goes back and forth from that to this voice, these voices. Some of them are probably external, no doubt. Where is your God? I thought you believed in God. It don't look like much of God is happening in your life. Don't look like God's on your side. But he probably hears that same kind of voice within. Self-doubt. Where are you, Lord? I remember how you've come through in times in the past when I was in a place of desperation. I remember when times were good where I would encounter you, but, but where are you? It's this wrestling between doubt, anxiety, depression, and remembrance of how God has been there. I think this is something that happens oftentimes for me when I can just go out in nature. You know, sometimes life is so busy and you got so many demands on you, on your time, your emotions, and and I find myself sometimes where the anxiety of trying to spin all the plates and keep everything going and all that just becomes so heavy. And the most counterintuitive thing is to step away, to go outside, to leave the familiar for a bit and just go get quiet. And yet I find time and time again, if I will actually do that, I'll get some perspective. I played the clip from Carl Sagan called Pale Blue Dot, and you can pull up the video on YouTube. That's where I got it from. And I I think there is something so true in one sense about what Carl Sagan is saying. When you look at the earth from outside, this is the overview effect that I talked about earlier. When you look at the earth from out in space, and I believe that that actual picture that he was talking about was taken, I think, from one of the Voyager aircrafts, uh, spacecrafts. Uh, You can see this pale blue dot through the ring of Saturn. All the things that we fight about, they, they, they kind of are put into perspective. Now, a lot of the you know naturalist, materialistic type of people, the new atheists would just say, you know, we the, the the answer is we're just you know we're just this insignificant speck. Why do we keep fighting over everything? And you know because we're really nothing. But I I think intuitively none of us really believe that. Yes, there is a good way to feel small. There is a good way to to see your life in perspective, but it doesn't mean that you don't matter. It doesn't mean that nothing really matters. It means that perhaps some of the things that you have made so big and that I've made so big in our lives don't matter as much as we think they do. See, that's the thing about anxiety and depression. You know, I've struggled often, off and on over the years at certain phases of life with anxiety and depression. I've shared some of that on this podcast even recently. 
But this is what it feels like to me when I go through those times. It feels as if the walls are closing in. Things are getting really cramped and tight. And it feels like there's a lack of choices, a lack of freedom, that things are bad and they're only going to continue to get worse. But oftentimes what's going on in, in times of great anxiety and depression is that we are looking at, at, at one situation or a handful of factors in our life and we magnify those and we can't see anything else. This is why we need to experience wonder. This is why we need to experience awe. And we live in a, a world where awe and wonder just seem to be squeezed out. We've figured out how to explain just about every phenomenon except the reason for existence and consciousness. <laughs> we live in a time where we can perpetually stay distracted with technology, with entertainment, with busyness. And the more that technological progress happens, the more we have to be people who, who, who realize to care for, for ourselves, to, to truly show love and compassion to ourselves means that we need to make time to, to get out, to go outside. See, I think that's the turning place for this songwriter in Psalm 42. He goes outside. He leaves the familiar. He sits down and he begins to pay attention. There's no sense by the end of this psalm that all of his problems are resolved. There's no sense that, that and they lived happily ever after. The psalm doesn't end that way. It doesn't end with resolve. It ends with the refrain that has been going on throughout the psalm. Why, my soul, are you so downcast? Why are you so depressed? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Now, the Old Testament, I've, I've shared this on the podcast before, but I think one of the most interesting things about Judaism in the Old Testament is when God gives the Hebrew people their instructions to build the tabernacle and later the temple, there is one thing that is conspicuously absent that anybody in the ancient world that visited the temple in, in Jerusalem would have remarked about. There's this elaborate temple that has, you know, intricate uh, architecture. It's beautiful, except when you go in the temple, you would notice something. There's no idols. <laughs> and this would make no sense to anybody in the ancient world. Why would you build a house for God and then not put God in it? But I really believe the prohibition throughout Scripture to make a graven image, as it is in the Ten Commandments, uh, that, that you, you shall not worship an image of the creation, that's called idolatry, is because to make an idol even of God is to reduce who God is. We can get at God a bit with metaphors and analogies, and that's, that's the way that we humans understand anything. We can say, as, as it's even said in the, in the Psalms, you know, that, that God is like a mother chicken brooding over her, her chicks. Yes, God protects us that way, hides us under his wings, but God's no big chicken. <laughs> God is the ground of all being itself. 
God is the one that not only creates reality, but sustains it. The spirit that is holding all of this together. When we worship the creation, when we put our hope in anything that is created, whether it's, man, if I just find my soulmate, if I just get this job, if I just get some more money, if I could just achieve this, then I would be happy. It's a fool's errand. But when we go outside, when we leave the familiar, when we get quiet and begin to pay attention, creation will begin to testify to us. God is at work all around us. Sometimes going out in nature into a wild place, whether it's on top of a mountain or, or by the ocean or simply staring up at the stars at night or even just gazing at the flowers of spring, if you can actually pay attention, it will tell you something about yourself. It will tell you something about God. It will tell you something about the wisdom that holds it all together, the logos, so to speak, that created it all. See, I think most often when you experience anxiety and depression and you want to get some help, you know, we, we look to, you know, I got to get this book or I need to go to another Bible study or I need to find a, a therapist. And look, all those things can be helpful to a certain extent. But there's nothing like going to sit at the Grand Canyon. There's nothing like just going out in nature and getting quiet and paying attention to what's going on around you and what's going on within you. I don't think we need so many of these other things as much as we, we think. Sometimes actually, you know, reading a book or, or even, you know, going to a Bible study or a therapist, it sometimes as helpful as those things can be at certain points, sometimes they actually become a distraction from paying attention. What I see in this Psalm what I hear in the words of Bob Dylan in that poem early, <laughs> earlier, what I hear even in, in Carl Sagan's Pale Blue Dot, there is something about getting perspective. I believe that's one of the most profound places that we can encounter God. We need to make space in our life for awe and wonder. Whether you believe in God or not, I believe that if you are going to encounter ultimate reality, sometimes that's the best place to start. One of the best books that I've read recently is Richard Rohr's new book, uh, The Universal Christ. And I'm probably going to butcher my quote. I don't have the quote. I listened to it on audiobook. But he said something like this. If you're interested in pursuing a spiritual journey, if you're interested in taking the teachings of Jesus seriously, don't start with the big ones. Don't start with love your enemies. Start by loving creation. Start by loving rocks, he says. <laughs> Learn to love rocks and then move up from there and move up from there. And then eventually you'll get to loving humanity and loving yourself and maybe even loving your enemies. But as you do that, you realize that you're a part of it all. You're a part of the creation. Not an insignificant part, 
but maybe not as big of a part as, you know, social media tells you, you know, by reinforcing your own narcissism. Maybe the things that you've seen as such big issues aren't quite as big as you have made them. You see, for me, hope is not a denial of reality. I, I bump into people all the time who just, you know, their 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 understanding of hope or faith is just like, you know, God is good all the time. You know, I I don't I'm not sick, dude. You look sick. <laughs> no, no, no. I don't receive that. I get there is something to positive confession. I totally, you know, they're, they're, I'm not going to discount that. But hope is not really a denial of reality. It is hope in something that is more fundamental than anything that we can see. Hope is realizing that if the ground of all being itself is love and goodness, then there really is nothing that we can experience that will separate us from that love and goodness. There's nothing that if we're in the right perspective and the right frame of mind that, that can't actually bring goodness forth in our own lives. And all the major world religions contain this idea that there, I mean, even Hinduism, which is known as a religion that has you know, 30 plus million deities, believes that, that there is one deity that actually created it all. Judaism, Islam, Christianity, uh, even other religions say the similar thing, that, that we are not here by mere accident. Something created all this. And that something is good and just and loving. That is what holds all of this together. And even in a religion like Buddhism, which is not really, uh, you know, in its, in its original form is not even a deistic religion at all. That's why a lot of atheists, you know, are Buddhist. Uh, even those who practice meditation and contemplation in the Buddhist tradition experience a transcendent connection with ultimate reality. And it is interesting if you read about mystical religious encounters, whether they happen within religion or outside of it, they all bump into a truth that we are all connected, that there is something that holds all of this together. I believe that that hope we encounter that when we go outside, when we step away from distractions. If we go to actually just say, God, if you're out there, reveal yourself to me. Open my eyes. We begin paying attention to the creation itself. If we leave the comfortable, we go out in the wilderness and pay attention not to just what's going on out there, but what goes on within us as we're there. We find a hope that's coming from a different place. It's not a hope that's anchored in expectations that this thing has to work out this way or this thing has to work out that. It is not idolatry. It is not looking to anything within the creation to answer what cannot be answered by the creation, but what can only be answered by that which brought all this into being, the ground of all being itself. And when we have those encounters of awe and wonder, of reflection and contemplation outside of the norm, 
They reset us. It's a mini overview effect, so to speak. We begin to see that our lives are a part of something much bigger. And that whatever happens, whatever we face, we cannot be separated from that love and goodness that is within us, that is within the creation itself. We anchor ourselves there. It doesn't mean that your life is going to get any easier, that all your circumstances are going to work out, that you get to have, and they all lived happily ever after. Maybe you don't get to experience much of that. But it does change your perspective on how you see things. And you begin finding that these trials and tribulations that you go through can actually work goodness in your life instead of working more anxiety, depression, bitterness, you know, bringing you into hell. And that's why we need to make space in our lives for awe and wonder. Why we need to go outside, to leave the familiar. So maybe this week, if you're going through a, a hard time with life, Maybe it seems counterintuitive to step away from everything because you feel like it would all fall apart. But the truth is, you're going to fall apart if you keep carrying it all. Maybe take the afternoon off one day this week. Go sit by a lake. Go hiking in the woods. Lock your cell phone up. And actually just begin to pay attention a bit. You might find that the fruit of that is you get new perspective. You find that hope that Bob Dylan was talking about. You find that hope that the psalmist was talking about. I believe it's available. And I hope you find it. I hope we all find it. I hope we all have a fresh experience of that in the days to come. Thanks for listening to Extra Crispy.